The text for our sermon this morning is First uh, Peter chapter one verses three to five, and so Pat will come up in just a moment and read that for us. Uh, the central idea in that in those verses, in my view, is the idea that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the other verses that we read will all look at what this hope is that we have, what is the Christian hope. So Nate will come up and read for us from Romans 8, verses 24 and 25. Ryan will come up and read for us from Hebrews 10, 39 to 11, verse 1. And then lastly, Anna will come up and read for us from 1 John 3, verses 2 to 3. And so my prayer is that these verses will indeed show you what a great hope we have and prepare you to receive the message this morning from 1 Peter. So, Pat, whenever you're ready, come on up. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hebrews 10, 39, and Hebrews 11, verse 1. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 1 John 3, 2 through 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Beloved, the whole of the Christian faith is designed to produce a heart that is overflowing with joy and praise and hope. A heart that is overflowing in joy and praise is the greatest puzzle to the unbelieving world. It is therefore the greatest means that God has to show the world what alone he can do and what he alone is like. Just take a moment to think about it. People who believe that this life is all there is and have no real hope for the life to come, for them, the greatest enjoyment of life, the greatest pleasure in life is whatever they themselves have experienced so far. They can't imagine a greater joy than just the very temporary and physical joys that they know here and now. And so the the limit to their joy, the limit to their hope, is just whatever they can imagine being able to do with money or the right relationships or the things that they have on this earth. And for that reason, people that have no hope beyond death tend to be more cynical tend to be more jaded because they can't imagine anything better than life as they know it. Indeed, they don't think there is anything better than life as we know it here and now. But, beloved, God came in Jesus Christ to so fill our souls to overflowing that we would positively sing and dance with the amazing possibility of good that God holds out for us in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we are given a hope that is eternal, 
that is unfading, that is undefiled, that is kept in heaven for us, so that there is no more reason now to be skeptical, to be cynical, to be jaded, to have a wait-and-see approach to life or to God. No, beloved, because the work of Christ is finished, because he has indeed risen from the dead, we have a secure hope. We have a blessing that has been granted to us that is better than anything that we can even conceive happening in this life and that will go on forever with increase without interruption. And so my aim in this message is to bring that great hope to bear on our lives today to see how it can transform our lives today as Peter calls it a living hope. A living hope. And so for the first half of this message, I want to describe just what that sensation is like. What does it feel like to have a living hope? What does it mean? What does it look like? And then for the second half, I want to look at the reasons that Peter gives us for having a living hope. So first, we're going to look at what is the living hope? What does it mean? And then next, we want to look at the reasons that we have as believers to have a living hope. Now, we already know from the very first verse of this letter that Peter is writing to those that he describes as elect exiles. In other words, he's writing to people that know suffering, that know pain, but also that know that they are saved by God. He's writing to people largely who have been removed from their homes and are now living in foreign lands. And as we read on in 1 Peter, we'll see even more ways that the people that Peter is writing to are suffering. That they are being opposed to their Christian faith. They are not finding life easy. Indeed, they are finding life much more difficult now that they have decided to follow Jesus than it was before they decided to follow Jesus. And yet, despite the suffering, Peter is calling them to live with this fullness of joy, to live with this living hope. He says in verse 3 that they have a living hope. Now note those words, a living hope. It speaks to the well of life, this well of joy that they have day by day. A belief about the future, that's hope, right? A belief about the future that transforms their present. It's the opposite of a dead hope, right? What is a dead hope? A dead hope is a hope that maybe you used to have in the past, but now you've given up on that idea. You don't really think it's going to come true anymore. It may have given your life radiance or joy at some point in the past, but now that that hope is long gone. That hope has long since ceased, and perhaps you're even more depressed than you were before because your hopes have been dashed. But beloved, a living hope does the opposite. A living hope gives you a glimpse of the future that is so great, so grand, that it can't help but color your life today. Just as a very simple and easy example, recently there was a $2 billion Powerball, right? And there was a winner somewhere out in California. Now imagine if that man who won that $2 billion could have known a week in advance that he was going to come into $2 billion. Do you think that week leading up to it might have looked a little different for him? Do you think he might have had a little more pep in his step, a little more that he was looking forward to? Imagine if he had known a month before that he was going to come into $2 billion or a year before. 
Imagine that if at any time in that year before he was going through some sort of financial trouble and he just didn't know how he was going to make it through. Or imagine that there was some big bucket list that he had for his life of places he wanted to go, things he wanted to see, and he just didn't think he was ever going to get to go there. But then imagine how all those disappointments are suddenly turned upside down if he knows that in a very short time he is getting $2 billion. Now, beloved, as I hope to show you before the end of this message, $2 billion is paltry in comparison to the reward that we have in Jesus Christ. And yet we all know that if we were going to receive $2 billion, we would be pretty happy about it. How much happier should we be? How much more full of joy should we be that we have an inheritance so far exceeding $2 billion? How much should it transform our life? How living should our hope be for the reward that we get in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing reward. Non-Christian, if you're present with us this morning, then we invite you to faith in Christ. And when we invite you to faith in Christ, we are not promising an easy life, a life free of cares and worries. In fact, to some degree, we would say your life is going to get more difficult in certain measures. It is hard to live for Jesus and you will stand out in various ways. But what we can promise and what God does do is he gives you a joy. He gives you a hope that is so overwhelming that all of the trials of this life will seem small in comparison to the glory that awaits you. And so you will have strength. You will have joy to endure every difficulty and every trial. This kind of joy, this kind of hope is what Peter displays in this very passage. When he starts us off in verse 3, when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter has this spontaneous act of rejoicing. He is so glad in all that God has given him that he wishes for God himself to be glad. He says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the root word behind that word blessed is the word happy. He is saying, May God be happy the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why would he say that? He would say that because he himself has been made overwhelmingly happy by God. And so he is wishing back to God what he himself has received from God. He has received blessing from God. And so he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice it's important, too, that he doesn't only say, blessed be God. He says, in particular, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we looked at just in the message before this, Peter has already spoken of God as a triune God, as God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And when I preached on that, I pointed out how this means that God, just even in his own nature, is given to overflow, is given to love. And this is the very thing that Peter is highlighting in this verse. When Peter speaks of God, he doesn't speak of God as being a distant, lonely being who is far off and unreachable. No, he speaks of God as being a father. God is a father, one who has begetted a son. And who is the son whom God begot? But Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so God, the Father, has already overflowed in love to God the Son, and now God the Son himself has now overflowed in love to us. 
And it is through this overflowing God, this God who is both Father and Son, that we now get hearts that are overflowing with joy and peace and hope. And that is why Peter can start here and say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he has truly seen how God has overwhelmed him in mercy and how God has given him immeasurable gifts. And so Peter himself has been made happy, and he wishes that God himself would be as happy as Peter himself has been made. Peter knows that God is a God of joy and happiness and love and overflowing, and so he has a heart that sings for joy. Beloved, do you see what happens to our hearts when we're able to praise God like that, when we're able to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Our hearts are being turned outward. Our hearts are being occupied with something greater and wonderful than the things of this earth. Whereas before our hearts can tend to be preoccupied with our earthly cares, now suddenly our hearts are preoccupied with this eternal God who has eternal rewards, who overflows forever and ever. I just read a short story recently. It's a short story set in Russia in the 1800s. And it was about a woman whose life had become very miserable. The woman was a teacher, but to get this job as teacher, she had to move to a very small town that was very far away from her family. Her mother and father had died some years ago, and she hadn't seen any of her siblings in years. She had never found marriage, and her job was as a school teacher was in a very small school, and she was totally responsible for cleaning and for raising money and for doing everything just to have her own job. And she was so sad about just what her life had turned out to be. She grew up in a wealthier family with a beautiful apartment in St. Petersburg, and every day she couldn't help but remembering how much better her life had been as a child and how low her life had become now. We can all sympathize with a woman like this, can't we? Just thinking through different ways that maybe we felt slighted by someone in the past, ways that our life hasn't really turned out quite as we have hoped. Of course, it's not wrong to be sad about various aspects of our lives. We indeed live in a sad world full of pain and sorrow. But the danger that every person faces is focusing too much on these things. Focusing so much on the losses of our life, of the slights, of the bad turns, that it's easy for us to simply go into victim mode. We have wounded pride. We think we deserve better than we receive. And when we enter into victim mode, our hearts are emptied of all warmth, of all joy. We have no ability to overflow to others because we feel like everything has already been sucked out of us. And so our only thought day after day can quickly become what we don't have that we think we should have, or that person who didn't give me the respect that I thought they should give me, or that job that never opened up for me, or those kids who never seem to act exactly the way I want. And just we can think of item after item after item of just disappointment that we have. Our heart turns inward on ourselves and on our pains. And as we consider those things over and over, our hearts just begin to shrink. And our joy is stolen away. And our hope is gone. 
Well, at the climax of this short story I read is this woman was traveling into her town on a cart. Well, coming up to her town, all of a sudden there was this beautiful ray of sunshine that shot through and it lit up all the metal roofs of her town so that the town just seemed to shine with brightness. And as she saw this town shine with brightness, it brought her mind back to a time when she was in that beautiful apartment in St. Petersburg and there was sunlight streaming through a window and her mother was holding her as a young child and the joy that she felt in that moment. And in this way, what the story is communicating is that even though this woman's life may have not been a very happy life, with this ray of sunlight, with this memory of home, she was able to have a moment of sheer bliss, even in the midst of the darkness of her life. Well, beloved, what Peter is speaking of here is something far better than a moment of sunlight or a remembrance of how good things once were. He's talking about a future hope that we have coming that is far better than any past we could have ever experienced that is a sure and confident hope that we can have. And in that way, yes, we may have difficult lives. We may have hardships galore. And yet, as we can think about the hope that we have coming to us, we can know genuine joy, genuine rejoicing. And we can say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, not because our lives are going so well, but because of what God has promised to us. So what this tells us, beloved, is that ultimately worship is the true antidote to a life of misery. Worship is the true antidote to a life of misery, to a life of smallness and grudge-holding and regret. When God allows your eyes to be lifted, to see all that he has poured out, to see how great he is, and when our souls can be engaged in that act of worship, those, beloved, are the moments of true bliss, the moments of true joy. I'm sure many of you have heard this quote before, but it's always worth being reminded of. This is a quote from C.S. Lewis about praise in his book, Reflections on the Psalms. He says, The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. Let me just repeat that line right there. All enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. Unless shyness or fear, a fear of boring others, or it is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise. This is still C.S. Lewis. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historic personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. Except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be the inner health made audible. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmist, in telling everyone to praise God, is doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying us, as regards what is supremely valuable, 
what we delight to do, what indeed we can't help doing about everything else we value. And so you see, beloved, when we get this ray of hope, when we see who God is, how he has overflowed to us, what hope we have, that gives us hearts that enjoy God. And when we enjoy God, that enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. And so for Peter here, again in verse 3, his heart has spontaneously overflowed into praise to God when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is so overwhelmed with all the blessings that he is about to list that he cannot help rejoicing in God. And so, beloved, even if you think your life might be hard, even if your life does not seem to be going the way that you want it to be, if you can know the reasons that we have to praise God and if you can give your life to the praise of God, then you will be giving your life to enjoyment. You will be giving your life to joy and happiness. And again, this is what God designed to give us when he sent Jesus Christ. Do you believe that God can make your enjoyment so big? Do you believe God can make your hope so alive that you can spontaneously overflow into praise? Beloved, this is to be the nature of the Christian life. If you've, ever, if you've never known so much joy that you just spontaneously overflow into praise to God, then you've never experienced the central dynamic of the Christian faith. You've never known how richly God has overflowed to you. And so let's consider that now. How has God overflowed to us? Again, with the aim of us overflowing in praise and worship to God. Obviously, just talking about needing to praise God doesn't make, us tr- doesn't make it happen, doesn't make it true. We need to have reasons to praise God. And so the question for us now is what kind of ammunition does Peter bring to bear to bring about this praise to God, this spontaneous overflow of enjoyment in God? Well, the basic dynamic that Peter shows us here is this, that we can overflow in our hearts only when we realize that God has overflowed to us. We can overflow in joy in our hearts only when we realize how God has overflowed to us. And so do you feel like you have a lack of joy in your life? Do you have a lack of praise in your life? Well, then here is the key, beloved. Consider how God has overflowed to you. To the extent that you recognize God's goodness to you, to that extent you will be able to worship. You will be able to overflow in every other area of your life. It's so important for us to realize that God has not merely done the bare minimum to save us. He hasn't simply dragged us out of some slimy pit and then left us there to clean ourselves off. No, he dragged us up out of a slimy pit and then he cleaned us off and then he gave us warm, comfortable clothes and then he gave us a family and then he gave us a kingdom. His grace and his favor are simply unending, beloved. And only when we have confidence in all of these things that God has poured out for us can we have hearts that truly overflow with a living hope. And so this is what we see in this passage. Peter is reminding his readers of the incredible bounty of gifts that God has poured out and that God continues to pour out. He is reminding his readers. This is often exactly what we must do. This is a spiritual discipline that we must develop. 
we must remind ourselves of how much God has given. You see, when we consider the gospel, that is not just for the beginning of the Christian life, such that we put our faith in Jesus, remember how he died for us, how he rose again to save us, but then we move on to just look at all the different acts of obedience we're supposed to perform. No, we must return time and time again to remember the wealth poured out on us in Jesus Christ. We must make it a regular, even a daily activity to remember to remind ourselves of what God has done. I'm persuaded that even if you go back to the Garden of Eden itself, this is one of the biggest problems that Eve herself encountered when she was tempted by the serpent. What did the serpent do? The serpent fixed her eyes on the one tree in all the garden that God said was off-limits. And she saw that this was a very nice tree, right? Very lovely to eat and desired to be able to make one wise. And so she took it and she ate it. She was fixated on the one thing that God said not to do. Instead of considering how God had literally given her and Adam a thousand, maybe tens of thousands of other trees in this garden, all with good fruit to eat, she forgot. She did not remember what God had given her. Instead, she was only thinking of what God denied her. And so we must daily remember the blessings that God has poured out on us. What has God given us? When we are so consumed with what God has given us, then we no longer worry too much about maybe the one or two things that are then off limits to us in light of the bounty of God's goodness. Now, there are three amazing things in particular that Peter tells us that should cause our hearts to simply overflow in wonder at the generosity of God and how much he has given us. The first thing he tells us is that we have been born again. That's in verse 3. See, it says that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has made us to be born again. That means made entirely new. Entirely new from top to bottom. When someone is born, that is who they are, is it not? Your birth sets about the trajectory of the whole rest of your life. And who here, when we look at ourselves in the mirror, thinks, man, I've really got it going on. You know, as I see myself, I just don't think there's anything about myself that I like to change. I think I'm just perfect in every way. You know, I'm pretty sure I'm God's gift to the world, right? None of us thinks like that when we look at ourselves in the mirror. No, we all want to be different in some way. We all have a deep desire in our hearts to be reborn somehow. We all want to be born anew. And beloved, this is how complete the new birth is. Just as our physical birth brought us into this world as we are, so our spiritual birth gives us entirely new personages that we can step into by the grace of God. Our birth into this world welcomed us into everything that we are. Our birth into this world gave us our physical features. It gave us our birth family. It gave us our social standing, our talents. Everything about us is defined almost by our birth. And so this new birth that is being offered in Jesus Christ means everything is offered anew. 
There is no part of you that God cannot change. There is no part of you that will go untouched by the overflow of God's grace into your life. You will be made entirely new. You will be reborn. Now, as Scripture tells us, this new birth has already begun. The Holy Spirit has already been deposited in us to start bringing these changes about. But as we saw in 1 John, these changes that have already happened are just the smallest part of the great new birth that God has prepared for us as we walk into the future. Scripture says that when we are born again, we are born as sons of God. Consider that, beloved. We are sons of God if we have been born again. And that means that in the age to come, we will be revealed as sons of God. Our bodies will be transformed. Our souls will be transformed. Our holiness will be transformed. Our joy will be transformed. Everything about us will be transformed so that we can finally and perfectly reflect the fact that God, the God of heaven and earth, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he himself is our Father, that we are related to him. That is what we will be reborn into, beloved. We cannot even imagine yet how glorious that will be, what that will look like when we are made entirely new, when our bodies are glorified and we get to enjoy life as God always intended it to be enjoyed. We have a great hope of being born again. And we know that we will be born again precisely because Peter here says that we have already been born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so, beloved, the work of new birth is not a work of our hands. It's not something that we have to bring about. It's something that God has already brought about through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So as surely as Jesus has been raised from the dead, that is how sure our new birth is. It may be future in one sense, but beloved, it is past tense in another. It has already been accomplished. And so this is the first glorious thing that we are to see about our future hope, that we are born again. And we will continue to experience newness of life as we walk into the future. The second thing he tells us that is to give us a living hope is that we have a great inheritance. This is verse 4. It says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So he tells us these three things about this glorious inheritance that we have. First, it is imperishable. That means that it is undestroyable. It is free from the effects of death or decay. Beloved, consider any sort of inheritance that you may get in this life. You could inherit a million acres. You can inherit two billion dollars. You can inherit anything you want. Guess what? Every last thing that you inherit on this earth will be gone when you die. You will not be able to take it into the eternal life with you. Every inheritance on this earth, no matter how great no matter how puny, has a definite end date. It is perishable. But God is saying that the inheritance that we receive in Jesus Christ is imperishable. That is, there is no end date. We just sang the song this morning that in 10,000 years we will continue to sing his praises forever and ever. 
Consider, beloved, receiving something as a gift today that you knew would be yours forever and ever, would never get lost, would never go away. You would never, ever have to give it up. That would be an amazing gift, would it not be? And this is the sort of gift that God has promised to us in Jesus Christ. The second thing that we see about our inheritance in Jesus Christ is is that it is undefilable, undefiled. That means it is free from all uncleanness or moral impurity. And I think this inheritance is free from uncleanness in a couple ways. First, we know that the inheritance that we receive has no taint of exploitation to it, that no one was ever harmed in the creation of our inheritance, that there was no part of nature that needed to be exploited in order to give us our inheritance. No, it is entirely created ex nihilo from God, and it will be given to us. But it is also untainted in the fact that when we receive this inheritance, our hearts will not be led astray. Our hearts will not be led to desire and to enjoy this inheritance more than we desire and delight in God himself. We will be able to enjoy every good gift of God as really coming from God and not just enjoying the gift instead of the giver. And so this inheritance is indeed undefiled. It is not a future temptation that God is somehow holding out for us. No, it is simply blessing upon blessing that we are able to bask in and enjoy as we enjoy it in the pure light of God. It is entirely, entirely pure, entirely clean. And so we can delight in this inheritance. And the last thing we see about this inheritance is that it is unfading. Unfading means that it is free from the natural ravages of time. So whereas the the first one, imperishable, tells us it cannot be taken away by death, to say that it is unfading means that over time it will never decay, it will never wear out, it will never fall apart. Again, beloved, it's almost impossible to think of getting anything in this life where we don't have to be concerned in the slightest that it's going to wear out someday. Now, I'm, I might be a little weird in this, but, you know, I have a few pieces of clothes that I like more than the other clothes that I have, and I always kind of, like, budget how often I wear them, because I'm always afraid that if I wear them every day, they're going to wear out, you know, that I won't be able to wear them anymore. And so I think, well, if maybe I only wear them once a week, then I'll be able to keep this for a long, long time. And so I have to think through how often I use it, because I'm afraid that it might get worn out. Well, again, that happens with all of our things. Our furniture wears out. Even our money itself will decay over time. And yet God is saying that there is an inheritance for us that is unfading, that will never fall apart, that will never wear out. Again, we will be in heaven for millions upon millions upon millions of years, and the things that we get the very first day there will be just as new after five million years as they were on that very first day. Is that not amazing, beloved? Beloved, this is why Jesus tells us to not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but instead to store up treasures in heaven. Because it is only there where our inheritance really is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. And again, beloved, this is part of what makes our inheritance infinitely better than $2 billion that somebody got last week. Because that will go away. That is defiled. And that is fading. 
And yet the inheritance that we receive in Jesus Christ, beloved, will be with us forever and ever. The last thing that he tells us, the third thing that we should rejoice in as we look at what God has given us in Jesus Christ, is he says that we are being guarded by God. We are being guarded by God. That's verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. To say that we are being guarded by God through faith is to say that there should not be any anxiety, any worry, any fear that we will not actually attain this great hope that God has given us. Yes, it is future, but it is as good as yours. Certainly, a hope is worthless if it's so far out, if it's so distant, or if it's so uncertain that you can never really be sure if you're going to attain it. If you have to jump through a thousand different hoops and only then you just have a chance that you will get this great hope. It's like so many game shows, right, that hold out some big prize at the end. But then to get this big prize, you just have to complete this next game. And of course, you can't be really sure how far along in this game you're going to get if you're really going to get that prize in the end. And so many people, often the prize ends up only being a demonstration of what they couldn't get, of what they lost. But beloved, it is not that way for us. The hope that we have been given in Jesus Christ is already secure because we are being guarded by the power of God himself. And so the Christian should live with a certain freedom of soul, with a certain anxiety, a certain weight taken off their shoulders because they realize that they do not have to perform X, Y, and Z to get at this inheritance, to get at this great hope that God has given them. Rather, they simply have to trust. This is why the verse also says that we are being guarded by God through faith. Remember that faith itself is not some great act. It's not some work that we perform. To say that we are being guarded by faith is to say that God is keeping us believing. He is keeping us trusting in Jesus Christ. And so even in those moments where perhaps we fear that we may be letting go of Jesus Christ, we can look to this verse and we can remember that Christ himself is holding fast to us. We are being guarded by God. And so, beloved, if we are guarded by God, then take no thought of whether you will receive this inheritance or not. Just remember of God's power, of his strength, of his promises, and know that it is as good as yours. And so, beloved, remind yourselves of these things regularly. Remind yourself that you have been born again and you will still be made new yet more. Remind yourself that you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Remind yourself that you are being guarded by God through faith to receive this inheritance. And beloved, as you look to this great reward, to this immeasurable reward, you will start to experience what Peter here describes as a living hope, as a hope that transforms your entire life, as a hope that spontaneously overflows in praise to God for giving you this amazing hope. 
Beloved, I so desperately want you to experience this living hope. I so desperately want to experience more of this living hope for myself. I don't want my Christian hope to be small or dead or insignificant. No, I want it to be a genuine living hope. I want my hope in God to truly overflow the brim of my heart into praise to God, into love for others. Sometimes when I imagine what my life would truly be like if I could truly believe and not doubt in the least the great inheritance that is coming to me, how generous would I be with others? How far out of my way would I go for others if I knew that in a very short time I was going to receive so much blessing even eternity could not contain it all? Beloved, I continue to pray that this overflowing hope that God gives us will continue to fill my heart to cause me to overflow more and more with joy, with praise, with rejoicing. Beloved, do you see how God has overflowed to you? Do you see how you have absolutely nothing at all to fear and you have everything in the world to enjoy, to look forward to? If Christ took all the burden, if he paid all the penalty himself, that means there is no more penalty for you. There is no more curse for you. There is only inheritance. There is only blessing. There is only hope. And if you're an unbeliever here this morning, then know that all of these gifts can be yours too if you will only turn to Jesus Christ in faith. Just turn away from the impoverished life of sin that you're in and turn to the wealth of Jesus Christ and he will give it to you freely. You will be reborn. We all here will gain a great inheritance and we will be protected by the power of God. And when your heart is truly filled with all these things, you will cry out, just as Peter does here, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, would you pray with me now? Lord, we indeed rejoice in the great salvation that has been won for us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, would you give us eyes to see just how incredible this salvation is, just how much you have poured out upon us. And God, as you give us eyes to see this, then I truly pray that we would overflow in countless ways in praise and worship to you, in love and service to others. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your plans for us that stagger our imagination. Lord, would you please receive now our prayers of confession to you and our prayers of intercession for ourselves and for this world around us.